welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And I want you to turn there because tonight's message is one for the ages, that being it is the second part of the Ten Commandments. This here is what we would call the second six. The first four was last week. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The second set, starting at commandment number five, going through ten, the final six commandments have to do with our relationship with either ourselves or each other. It's the one another's that we deal with. And then the last one, when we get to it, it's, more, it's, a, it's a commandment of what we would call intent when we get to covetousness. So we're going to go through each commandment here has one sentence, one verse for each of it. One comes with the promise. And Jesus on these commandments, and we won't, we won't get into this, but Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, chapter 5 through chapter 7, he gave commentaries. He took all of these commandments and took them to a new level. These commandments are important because our law, our legal system, law enforcement, it's based on this. You cannot have law and order without these commandments in place. You cannot have families in place. You can't have a civilized, any type of world other than it would be total lawlessness. One of the things of signs of the end times will be in the book of Revelation where lawlessness, book of Revelation as well as 1 Thessalonians tell us that lawlessness will increase it, where folks just, uh, just do whatever they want to do. I was reading the newspaper this afternoon about Portland, Oregon. You can go steal something in Portland up to $500 and you will not go to jail. Are you all aware of this? You can do this now in Portland, Oregon. And theft, lo and behold, is on the rise. They will not prosecute you there. And the city council is reevaluating this because they're realizing this didn't... Uh, a criminal, someone who's lawless, is going to break the law. So if they have an opportunity, go for it. Why not? That's what you do if you're, if you're a lawless person. So we're going to see here these commandments, and we're going to, I'm going to talk about each one. So we're going to start in Exodus 20, verse 12. This here is the fifth commandment. This commandment has to do with the relationship with our parents. Not only that, this is the one that comes with a promise. God tells us we receive a promise, the only commandment with a promise, if we, if we do this. So look here, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have, here's the promise, a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What that entails, the honor, is back in Bible times, you would receive a family inheritance, a family plot. You would receive some land, and this inheritance would be Say you lived on the farm, the Osmond family, Sherry and I pass away, 
we give it to Benjamin or Daniel. It just goes on down the family line. And you're honoring, the children are honoring their parents. They don't get the land to go, let's sell it and cash, and go, cash out and go on a trip to Europe or go do whatever. No, you're saying this is what the Lord has given us. We're to be a good stewards of it. We're honoring. But that honor goes deeper even than that. This is, this is the first of all the commandments that relates to addressing our fellow man. And our fellow man includes our parents. After our relationship with God, next is our relationship between, between children and parents. Now, obviously, if you're married, that would involve your spouse too. But if for, uh, for someone, you, we have moms and dads, God expects us. You are to honor them. You are to honor your in-laws. You are to honor your mother and father. No matter what their age, bashing your parents and speaking evil of them is not godly. Jesus exemplified this best with his very first miracle. He was in a little town called Cana. And he's at a party, a wedding party. Someone got married. And they ran out of wine. So what do they do? Mary brings it to Jesus' attention. At this point, he had not performed a miracle. And said, son, they've run, they've run out of wine. What are we going to do? Like, there, there's nothing left to drink anymore. we still got a long way to go with the party. They didn't plan very well. And Jesus looks at his mother and says, woman, I don't know, I don't speak to my mother that way, but he said, woman, why do you involve me? And then the mother looks at the servants and says, just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Almost like they, she knew, like Jesus is going to take care of this problem. I don't know how he's going to do it, but something's going to happen. And Jesus, I guess Mary walks away, and Jesus stands there with the servants, oh, go fill, fill the jugs up with some water, let's see what happens. And we all know the story, he turned water into wine. Folks, the only reason he did that, not because people need more wine to drink, he had to do it because he had to honor his mother. His mother brought it to his attention. Therefore, he is expected to do it. When there is a need with your parents, even if they're elderly, even if they're deceased, you honor them. God expects. Because here's why. If we dishonor, how can we say, I love my heavenly Father. I love God the Father so much, yet I do not show that same respect to my earthly parents whom I can see. The Bible's telling us. You know, God is actually honored or dishonored by your relationship and how you treat and how you honor or dishonor your parents. You're going to be dishonorable to your parents. That same dishonor just spills over to the Lord. You treat him the same way because he is a heavenly father. What's interesting too, beginning in this fifth commandment, this also involves our attitudes towards authority. And we live in a very anti-authoritarian. No one likes to be told what to do. Children, I mean, it's just a, a day of rebellion. People just push back more than ever, probably. 
Well, the Bible is telling us, if your parents ask you to do something, and even though you might not agree with that, you are expected to do it. You have to do it. Because that's your, they're your parents. Now, according to Genesis 2.24, when you get married, the Bible says you leave your mother and father. And then you cleave or you bond with your wife. So that relationship with your spouse, uh, it's more important. It, it rises above that relationship with your mom and dad. You're still to honor your parents, but if you aren't married, after God, your next, if your next most important relationship, if your parents are alive, you're, you're to honor them. And that involves also if, if when they're elderly. God expects us to make sure we care for aging parents. We do not neglect them. Honor is more than just obedience. It's care. And you don't do it just because you're trying to uh, get out of something. You're doing it beca because of the Lord. Many parents, did y'all know this today? Many parents today have children and the parents' lives revolve around their kids. The kids actually determine whether or not mom and dad even go to church. The kids literally call the shots. Anything little Johnny wants. Maybe I shouldn't say little Johnny. Anything little Susie wants. We don't have a Susie. Little Susie gets. And that, that is not, that, that, that's the reverse of what we're, we're to see here. Children are not supposed to have that type of influence over their parents. Not at all. It's the other way around. In fact, I'm not going to turn there, but the Bible actually says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 14, that if you do not discipline your children, if you spare the rod for your children, the Bible says you actually are showing that you hate them. That's strong language, but what the Lord is saying there is because a child learns right and wrong from their parents. The reason why you have people in Portland, Oregon, stealing stuff right now from Walgreens, just walking out, knowing nothing's going to happen, is likely because they were not raised in a church with mom and dad teaching them the fifth commandment. And then also, the, the next commandment, don't steal. Or that's the eighth commandment, don't murder, is the next one. Well, I guess that ties in as well. But you, thou shalt not steal. And this, this is important because the Bible is telling us parroting, loving parents actually show their love to their children by giving them and providing them with discipline. If we do this, if you honor your mom and dad, you receive a promise of long life. Number six. Verse 13 here, look at this. There's only three words. Do not murder. Also in your King James Bible, it says do not kill. The reason why the Bible tells us not to murder is because human life is sanctified. Meaning we are created in God's image. That comes out of Genesis 1.26. Humans are the only thing that are created in the image of God. 
That is where we get a soul from. That is how we have eternal life. We have a soul. Other creatures and critters all around this world, they're great. They make great pets, good to look at the zoo, always have a good experience with that, but they are, they are different than humankind. And God is telling us we are not to murder fellow humans. They are created in the image of God. When we honor, when we honor one another as humans, we are actually showing our respect to God. This is why abortion, I won't get into it again, but this is last Sunday, this is why abortion is so wrong. You're killing something created in the image of God. When you're killing a human, you're, real, you're literally killing God's image. And he's saying, no, that's not for you. Don't murder. Now, there's three examples in Scripture. The Bible tells us that there are some exceptions. Number one, that is manslaughter. Manslaughter is when you accidentally, you, you, there's no evil intentions. It's not premeditated. That means you accidentally killed someone. And the example is used in the Bible is you're chopping down a tree with an axe and all of a sudden you're swinging hard and the axe head falls, it flies off and it flies over there and it hits in the head the person that's also working with you, it hits them, they fall down and die. You didn't intentionally try to kill them. It wasn't, it wasn't intentional. Now, you could have said, well, they shouldn't have been that close. You know, they should have known if the head, axe head was getting a little loose. But that's what, we call, that's what the Bible classified as manslaughter. The punishment for that in the scriptures is you would have to go to one of these six refuge cities, meaning you have to escape to these special cities and you stay there a way out of, uh, that's your punishment. You don't die because the, if it was a premeditated murder, the, uh, the punishment is death. The other exceptions to murder is what we call a defensive war. Not an offensive war, not because you want to take some land, but if someone's attacking you, you have the right to defend yourself. This also would involve in case you were at home. If you're at home tonight and someone breaks in your house holding a gun and has the intent of killing you and everybody in that house, you have permission from the Lord defensively, this is out of Romans 13, 1-4, to actually defend yourself. Now, you're, you're not doing it on the offensive. You're doing it on the defensive. It's out of protection you've chosen to do this. And thirdly, capital punishment is the other exception to murder. Capital punishment is not administered by us. Capital punishment is administered by the state. If the state tries someone and they're found guilty, there's nothing wrong with them if, that is, if the judge and the jury say this, this warrants execution, then the executor, the judge, he is not guilty of murder by executing that person. So you look at those exceptions, defense of war, manslaughter, capital punishment, and that would be an exception we see throughout the scriptures towards do not murder. Do not murder is premeditated. I hate my neighbor. I don't like my family. It's when Cain goes and kills Abel because of jealousy and you're, 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 you're filled with rage and hate, and um, you strike back.
Number seven, do not commit adultery. This is verse 14, the seventh commandment. I want to explain what adultery is. I'm meaning you're thinking, my goodness, Pastor, do we not know what adultery is? Adultery is when a married man and a married woman are unfaithful in their marriage bed outside of their marriage. It's you go out and you have sexual relations with someone who's not your spouse. Unmarried people, people who aren't married, do not commit adultery. Say, what do they commit? The Bible says they commit something called fornication, which is also a sin. Fornication is when people are not married and they are committing sexual sin. The Bible tells us that both of these are wrong. Jesus takes this to a new level in Matthew chapter 5. He goes on to say, even if you're lusting in your heart, even if your eyes are looking at something inappropriate on the computer, you have committed adultery in your heart. Adultery goes much deeper than the actual physical act. You can actually commit adultery with someone or fornication with someone just by thinking and fantasizing about it. The Bible is saying that is not for us. Our lives should not be driven by sex. They should not be driven by this uh, unholy passion for immorality. That's not for God's people. Let me even highlight this another level. Fornication, adultery, if you're living with someone, have you ever ever seen that happen? That's almost standard today. It's called in the Bible, living in sin. If you know of someone, or if you're doing it, if you have two unmarried people, I mean, gosh, I guess they could even be married, but it's not their spouse. You have people who are not married with each other, and they're living with other people, or two unmarried people, and as the Bible, or you would say today, they're shacking up together, they've just moved in together for whatever reason, the Bible declares that's wrong. And we as Christians, you as family members, you need to be able to tell folks, remember, the goal, when you know someone that's living in sin, that's committing these sins here, sexual sins, adultery, fornication, living together, you're not telling them this so that you can scold them. You're admonishing them with the purpose for them to repent of their sin because they will stand before God and give an account for their action. You're actually doing it out of love. And if you know of someone who's living together, they need to move out, and repent of that. If someone were to come to me and say, Pastor, I want you to marry us, and they're living together, living in sin, and they want to plan a wedding five months down the road, I would tell them no. Because we're not going to, that's making a mockery of this commandment. Where you're going to live together in the same house and plan this event which marriage is created by God, it's going to honor the Lord. You're bringing a Christian pastor to perform a marriage, which all the whole time leading up to that, you're going to mock it. Now, I would tell them, since y'all are living together and you want to get married, you need to get married right now, like this weekend, today. But planning a wedding with people living together all the time leading up to that, 
is a mockery of this commandment. Marriage, remember, where did marriage come from? It came from the Lord. God created marriage. And God's sexual ethics are very high. They're, they're, the plan for the Lord is sexual relations are solely between married people, one man and one woman. That's what it's for. It's not something we live as a passionate person just doing whatever we want. God is telling us we guard our marriage. You do not put yourself in a position where adultery, where fornication could be presumed or could be... Um, uh, it could easily lead into that. Meaning, much of your life is a life of making sure you have hedges and boundaries in your friendships and your relationships so that things aren't too close. Social media has taken this to a new level. Never in our lifetime... Let's see, Sherry and I were married in 2004... I think, is that the, I think that's the year Facebook was created. Social media didn't really exist. And I think back then it was only for college students. We were out of college. I could not, in 2004, get married, pull out my phone, and all of a sudden look up every single girl I know in Alabama, maybe I've known in the past, become friends with her or start following her, and then start sending her direct messages within seconds or minutes, just like that. I, we, I, I couldn't do that. That was not a possibility. If you wanted to talk to a girl that wasn't your spouse, you had to call them on the phone, or you had to meet them in person. Now you can communicate electronically, and you can look at every single picture in the history of their life they've ever put on there. This commandment, do not commit adultery, do not commit fornication, the sexual ethics, the, the, our phones, the computers, has made this more and more difficult to follow. And Jesus is saying, do not lust the entire time. There is... It is easier to probably commit this commandment now than it has ever been because the easy access to any and everyone you want to start talking to. You want to make sure you guard your, your, even your internet activity. I want you to know if no one knows your password, if no one can log in your account, if no one can see your search history and what you've been up to, Sin breeds in secrecy. It does. That's, what, that's where temptation lies. Secrets lead to sin. Number eight, do not steal. What is stealing? Stealing is the act of taking property from another person without their permission. You steal something from someone. They did not grant you permission. You didn't even know about it. You go home from church tonight and your stuff is gone. That means someone has committed theft. Adultery is a violation against one's family. Theft is a violation of one's property. You're stealing something that does not occur. And one of the things about stealing 
It involves trickery and deception. Many times folks who steal from you, you might even think they're trying to help you. They're trying to be a blessing or do something. In fact, they have ulterior motives with that. Many times we feel like salespeople might do this to us. They come across as trying to help us, but in fact, they're, they're, they're ripping us off. And the Bible tells us, do not steal. We are not to go around taking advantage of other people with their, their possessions. Number nine, verse 16, it says, Do not give or bear false testimony against your neighbor. That means you should not go and lie about someone you know. Bearing a false testimony, if that was discovered in the book of Deuteronomy, that someone bore a false testimony, they were to accept the punishment. Say, I was standing in front of a judge, I was lying, there was a murder trial, and I was a false witness. I was saying, yes, that, that girl there did commit the sin. She murdered that man. And I knowingly, I, I lied. The judge investigates me and found out that witness, me, he lied. Well, I accept the punishment. And the punishment was death. So then I die. That's what would happen in the Old Testament. If you go out and lie about something, you are now are on the hook for what that is. The problem with lying is, is trust is broken when you lie. Every time we talk to people, we are actually building up or removing trust. And the way to build trust is actually very easy. I've talked about this before. All you have to do to build trust with folks is actually do what you said you were going to do. That's it. That's all it takes. If I tell you I'm coming over to your house tomorrow night at 6 o'clock and I don't show up, I don't even call, I don't text, you never hear from me. He said, the man said he was coming over here. Trust was broken. I said one thing, and then I didn't do it. I didn't follow through. But if I show up at 5.58, right on time, knock on the door right there, you think, well, the man told me he was coming over, and sure enough, he's here. I mean, right now, I was reading the newspaper. I said, you probably think that's what the man does. He reads the newspaper. If you buy a washing machine, you will go to Lowe's right now and buy a washing machine. And the salesperson will tell you, oh, within the next week or two, they'll come and install it. Nope. It's not true, is it, John? Next year, they're going to come and install it because there's a backlog of installing washing machines right now. You just hope your washing machine does not break. By the way, we actually have a washing machine here at the church. It's downstairs in the, in the kitchen, outside the kitchen with that. Because um, a variety of reasons, there's a backlog of that. But that, that trust, that salesperson that tells you, I'm going to come and install this, I'm going to give you my word, that's, that's, that's lying when that is broken. There, there's several problems here. In a minute, we're going to turn to James chapter 3. Um, Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies. That's one of Satan's names. In fact, that's what Satan does. The Bible says he actually speaks his native language when he lies. And one of the, also the problems with lying is I believe when we lie, we are actually never more like the devil than when we lie. When you, when you are dishonest with someone else, you're just like the devil. In fact, that's his character because the Bible says he is the father of lies. What's his first thing he did? He goes to Eve and he lied to her. When we aren't honest with each other, we are just like 
Satan. Flip over here in your Bibles to James chapter 3. Look how this is illustrated. James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. The Bible warns us about our tongue. We have to be careful with our words. We can get in trouble when we loosely say things and our same words that we use, not only do they bless someone else and they claim to love the Lord out of the same mouth that we're blessing other people, exclaiming our love for the Lord, we then, later that day, the next day, we're cursing other people and even cursing God. And the Bible says we should not do that. Verse 8, it says there, verse 8, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. That's because words, empty words can come out that are not truthful. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. That's so important there. Created in the image of God. We are created like God. Last verse, verse 10. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers... These things should not be this way. That's not for us. We aren't to be people who go around loose with our lips and our words and blessing and cursing. Out of Our words mean something to God. He holds us to our words. And this is something we need to be very careful. This will get more folks in trouble than anything else. And what's even more tricky today, which even takes it to a new level, social media is, is a pitfall in this. Because you don't know if someone is angry, if they're joking, if they're being sarcastic. You have no clue of this context when someone is writing something on social media. You don't know what's going on. It's easy to take anything out of context. And nowadays... It's so easy to record other people. There's like a video camera everywhere you go in the world. Somewhere, probably your Alexa, your Amazon Echo is recording you at home. I mean, it's, a, it's something where you cannot just say, well, I didn't say that, or that's not true. Someone say, let's pull the tape and take a look. Because it's there on tape. It's, it's there. What you write on the internet you might think you've deleted it, but it, it, it amazingly, it can resurrect itself with that. Bible tells us to build trust, you need to be someone who has truthful words. Last commandment here, number 10. This is one that is what we call the sin of intent. This one's tricky. This is one that we might all struggle with. I would struggle with this, and you would never know it. Only God knows if you're struggling with this. Verse, back in uh, Exodus chapter 20, Verse 17, do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What is covetousness? Having the thoughts of taking or acquiring someone's possessions. You look at what your neighbor has, or your co-worker, your friend, and you think, I wish I had that. That means you're plotting theft, you're plotting adultery, you're, you're thinking in your mind, you know, I, I need what they have. And you, you, you have this intent and this desire, this longing 
that your life is incomplete. You're missing something, but my neighbor has it, and I want, I want what they have. You, and not only that, it might not be that you're not necessarily going to take that from your neighbor. You're actually doing something because your neighbor has it. And the Bible tells us God knows our thoughts. It's this emotional desire for wanting something. It's a craving. It's just this longing. If only I had this. You know, one of the things is um, covetousness. It lives with discontent. That means you're not happy. You're not pleased. There's something missing in your life. And one of the, Jesus pounded on this when he talked about how the love of money is the root of all evil. He went straight to it and says, you cannot love God in money because you cannot have this love for God, yet also in your heart you're coveting, wanting more and more and more. It causes people to leave the Christian faith. Jesus isn't enough for them. There's this there's this, such a desire that they need something else. Envy, jealousy, discontent, discontentment, resentment, all of this is the same package of covetousness. And it's rooted in ingratitude. I do not have enough, God. I need more. And the Bible is saying, and I want to tell you, people who, who struggle with these sins... Especially this 10th one here. A lot of folks don't even know about it. It's seething inside of them. There's a, there's a craving. There's a drive. And the Lord is aware of it. And it's something that God sees it in our heart. It's an indwelling sin. And we need to repent of this. God wants our lives to be content because we have Christ. That is enough. When you are pleased and happy because Jesus died for you. You're going to heaven. You're to live for him. He's saying, what more do you need? Your home's in heaven. I am your, I am your life. I've redeemed you. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Am I not enough? And so many folks today trade in. They, in their mind, they think they're upgrading leaving behind their beliefs and committing the sin of covenants. This is what Eve also did. She felt God was keeping something from her in the Garden of Eden from this morning's message. She wanted more. She wanted that believed wisdom that she did not have. That's that covetousness that we long for. You look at these Ten Commandments here. So much in our lives, so much in our city's lives, we need to be aware of these and from Honoring your parents to murder, understanding uh, what murder is, adultery, stealing, lying. That's when you're, like, you're identifying with Satan every time you lie. He is the father of lies. And then the sin of intent, which is covetousness. These sins are different than the first four, first four commandments because it relates to our relationships with ourselves and with one another. And what that does is that destroys our relationship with God. This evening, we look at this. I want the Lord to speak to you. Maybe you have struggled with some of these sins. Maybe you have wrestled with lack of trust. 
Maybe you just aren't honest with folks. You go around and say, oh, it was a white lie. No big deal. Nobody will know. Well, God knows. He doesn't blow this stuff off. And when we act this way, it hinders our relationship with the Lord. You come to church and get nothing out of it. You lose interest in spiritual things. You don't experience personal revival because you're not obeying. God isn't having us personally honor the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We're going to have our invitation. And we're going to commit our lives personally to these latter six commandments to say, Lord, I'm giving you my life. So I want to live by these commands. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray for the folks here tonight. Lord, we want to be a body of believers that honors our mother and father. Lord, that command comes with a promise. Lord, not only that, we do not want to have anger that leads to murder in our heart. Lord, murder is wrong. We value life. We fight for life. Lord, guard Guard our marital relationships. Adultery is a sin. It is so easy, like never before, to have access to anyone you want to talk to. See any picture or video in the world. The push of some buttons. Lord, help us have a clear heart. Lord, let us see that stealing property theft is destroying our neighbor and our friend or our community. You cannot live in a godly culture, a godly society, where people steal from one another. Lord, help us realize our words matter. We are not to lie, bear false testimony. Lord, it's wrong and we identify with, you, with the devil when we do it. The father of lies. He lied to Eve in the garden. He's lying to us every single day. Help us build up trust. Our yes mean yes and our no means no. Anything else comes from the evil one. Lord, help us see that covetousness, the sin of intent, this craving, this desire, this eagerness for something helps us realize our ingratitude for you, Lord. God, I pray that if we're struggling with covetousness, thinking we need something to be complete, Lord, forgive us of this. Cleanse us of this sin. Jesus, I pray anybody here, which there are some that need to make a decision, follow you tonight. Tonight is our night of response. We thank you for the Ten Commandments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are going to close our worship service. I will stand down front. I'm going to invite all of you to stand up. You want to join our church. You want to come forward for prayer. Now is your time to respond to the gospel. Beecher's going to lead us in a song. I'm going to be standing here waiting for you to come speak to me.